I, I was impacted by the statement when Jesus is bragging about a centurion. He's a Roman. Now understand the perspective here. This guy is an occupier of Israel. He's the enemy of Israel. He's come in as part of his army, the Roman army. They're Italians today. And they've come into, the prom- into Israel, the promised land, and they've overtaken the people. They're subjugating them. Many of them were persecuting the Jewish people. And yet we find here the story of a centurion who worshipped among the Jewish people. He went to the synagogue, actually paid money into the synagogue to help with a building fund. And the Bible says he would often give alms to the poor and he would pray. But this one time, he's just asking one request of himself. He said, you know, can Jesus heal my servant? And the Bible says that his faith was so extraordinary. Have a listen to this. So extraordinary that the Bible says in verse 10, Jesus was astonished. There are other times you read through scripture among the religious people, even among his own disciples. And he says, do you still lack faith? Have you still not got it? After being with me, you've seen miracle after miracle. You've seen signs. You've seen wonders. You've seen incredible things happen before your eyes. Bread multiplying, fish multiplying. So everyone has a full stomach. You've seen people raised from the dead and you still don't have faith. How is this possible? And yet here's this guy, an enemy of Israel, but really he's a friend worshiping the same God. And he trusts and recognizes the authority of Jesus' power. And Jesus is saying to everyone that was present, he says this, he says, I tell you the truth, because Jesus can't lie. I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What about John the Baptist? He was around. Did he not have faith? The Bible says here that this centurion had more faith than John the Baptist, who Jesus says is the greatest of prophets. Greater than all the prophets is this Roman centurion who understands how faith works. He understood that it was about being under lordship. It was understanding that there's a command structure, a leadership structure in the kingdom. It's godly. Uh, And if we understand and embrace this, it's easier to come under God's lordship because we fight that. In our culture, we fight lordship. We don't want to have anyone's master. We don't want anyone to be our master. And so, but the thing is, the Bible says it's very clear. You cannot serve two masters. You either serve the Lord or you serve another master. And so we're always serving something even though we're fighting for freedom. There is no real freedom. You choose your master. And this centurion understood that as long as I'm under the lordship of the Roman authority, the Roman government, I am given authority over 100 men. That's what a centurion means. But he also understood the same principle obviously applies in the kingdom. That as long as we're under authority, our hearts are right with the Lord, we're obedient, then miracles should be happening in our lives. And this morning, as I'm asking that question of myself, what is faith? Do I have faith? Do we have faith as a church? I thought to myself, I think more often than not, we struggle with faith. In fact, we will lower our theology to measure our level, to to the level of our unbelief. We don't believe, we struggle, we have prayed, we've not seen a breakthrough. And so we decide, I guess it's not the Lord's will. I guess God's not in this. 
I guess God doesn't want to heal them. I think we've all had this inner dialogue happening. And yet here's the thing as we talk in the series on faith, it's about trying to expand your faith to understand that we are meant to be a people of faith stepping out of our comfort zone. And if you have not have access to the other messages, make sure you go online and find them. It's important we understand that we must live by faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we have it very easy. We know how not to have faith. In fact, I want to preach on that this morning. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you this title, okay? How to destroy faith in five easy steps. Because it's easier for us, isn't it? Take the notes. How to destroy faith in five easy ways. Here's way number one, okay? Take offense. Take offense. Turn with me in your Bibles, and we're going to do a bit of page turning today. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Go there very quickly in your Bibles. Mark chapter 6 and verses 1 to 3. It reads like this. Jesus left there, wherever he was ministering, and went to his hometown. Everyone say home. Jesus has gone home, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. See that word? Many were amazed in his hometown. By the way, if you're wondering what the synagogue in his city looked like, it was tiny. In fact, it would be half this room. It was tiny. That's why they said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? It was tiny. If you're thinking a big, massive place, it isn't. They packed it, but it was tiny. And so they're all remarking, where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? So by the way, did you know Jesus had brothers, half-brothers? According to this, there were four and there were sisters. Aren't his sisters here with us? So we know there was a minimum of two sisters. There could have been more. So we say safely there was at least two girls, four boys plus Jesus, seven kids in the family. So if you were thinking Jesus was by himself, and when he says on the cross, you know, uh, behold, son, your mother. You know, he said that to John, his disciple whom he loved. And he says, mother, behold, your son. But what about his brothers? His brothers, anyway, his brothers were nowhere near. They did not trust him. They did not believe his ministry. And even his own people, look at this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's sons? We know his sisters. Look at the next bit. And they took offense at him. I have never seen a passage like this so powerful that offense can shut down the power of God. I'll read the other passage for you and you'll see it. Offense can shut down the power of God. Why were they feeling offended? This is the question that you need to ask. But this much we know, offense will remove you outside the kingdom. Here's the reason why. The people of Nazareth felt more justified in their righteousness than Jesus. We come from a line of Levitical priests and we understand the Bible. Others will say, I am the synagogue leader, the synagogue ruler. How dare this common blue-collar worker tell me how miracles work and tell me how faith works? 
Have you ever been written off by people because they thought you weren't good enough? Will you stand your feet with me? Who is that? Let's do something. Let's do something. Have you ever been written off and people thought you weren't good enough? Stand your feet with me. Almost everyone in this room is standing to their feet because someone wrote you off. Can I tell you right now that the Lord's promises for you are permanent and that he never takes it back. And that when he calls you to be a son or a daughter, he's not, he's not an Indian giver, so they say. He gives one minute, takes it back. He's not like that. Every promise over your life that was spoken and inside of yourself, you know God has made you for more. I want to tell you right now, for those of you standing, God has agreed with you. The Bible says that your spirit knows things that your soul doesn't, and you know deep down inside, God has made you for more. Thank you so much. Why don't you find your seats again? I just wanted to show you that I'm not the only one who's been written off. I remember when I was in church, uh, it was in the, in the 90s. I wasn't serving as a pastor at that time, but I was faithfully serving. I mean, every week we were on singers, and we had multiple services back in those days. And we were at every service I was singing. I was involved in young adults, my wife and I. In fact, we were busy every night of the, work, of the week with church stuff, except for, I think it was a Thursday night. Thursday night was the only night that we had free, but we had home group, we had planning meetings, we had all kinds of things every single night of the week, and then Sundays were completely filled. And I remember that uh, back in those days, we didn't have a young adults group, and uh, we thought, well, it'd be really great to hang out with the young adults and build something here. Wouldn't that be great? And uh, back, in, back in those days, early in the piece, my wife and I, we were still dating, and we thought, let's do this. And so we began gathering all the young adults, chatting with them, and we brought them together. And we just started hanging out after church. And before long, we thought, why don't we do like a young adults camp? And they said, yeah, that'd be really great. A new couple happened to, to arrive and were there for a couple of weeks. And so we, and I found out that he knows how to plan these things. That was his job. I said, well, could you plan a camp for us? And we'll go away and we'll do all these things. Yeah, absolutely. And we did. When we came back, there was a buzz in the place. And before long, the senior pastor recognized, this is a large church, the senior pastor recognized, we need to start a young adults group. So I'm going to pick this other couple. I'm not going to pick Paul and Tanya. And I, I, was, I was so shocked. I was so hurt, you know, because we did that. We built the group. In fact, we served that group under this leader that had just come to church. In fact, they became pastors. They, they, they brought them onto the team. And, and, and uh, yes, there's a little bit of jealousy. Can I, can I say a little bit of envy? It's like, that was my thing. I mean, we, we, I mean uh, jealousy is when you felt you deserve something. You did something, but you, don't, you didn't get it. Well, we literally started the group. It was literally us. And we were bypassed. And we, was, we were hurt. But we let it go. We thought, Lord, you have planted us in this church, and we are not going to budge. We're not going anywhere else. If we're going to be hurt, it's because you allowed that to happen. I'm going to wrestle with this in my spirit until I come out clean and squeaky. If you have to crush me, you crush me like an olive until, you know, I'm going to get olive oil. If I'm a grape, you can stamp on me, and I'm going to become wine. Do what you need to do in my life. And we were, let me tell you, in this church, we served and we served and we served and we were bypassed and bypassed and bypassed. It wasn't until years later that, uh, one of, uh, that what was once a senior associate pastor became a senior pastor of a church. He came and spoke to me and invited me to come on staff as a pastor at that time. And he told me, he said, Paul, you were blacklisted in that church. I said, what? 
Why? Well, they, anyway, it was a whole bunch of things that they, they just assumed about things. The senior pastor never spoke to me. And here's the thing. I didn't know at all. And I did not hold offense to that man, that pastor. And I believe, we believe, my wife and I, the only reason that we're pastors today is that we did not allow offense to corrupt our hearts. And we continued to serve because God planted us in that house. And we served and we served. And I suppose the Lord maybe saw the humility. He saw submission because we understood we in the kingdom have to serve under authority. And if God plants you there, you've got to serve that particular leader, good or bad. Let me tell you, that leader that was appointed ended up being removed because of immorality. I should have been outraged. I should have been upset. But let me tell you, in the time of Jesus, here's this guy preaching the word, miracles, healing, signs, and wonders happening. And he's telling them some of these stories. They're amazed in the Bible. You know, and here's the thing. They were outraged that a carpenter's son was preaching to them. I had to look up that word offense, and this is what Merriam-Webster's dictionary tells us about what offense is. It's something that outrages the moral or physical senses. We have a sense of morality, what is right and wrong. And when someone does something that contravenes that, you think, that's wrong. We get angry. Actually, the word is offended. Offense is the act of displeasing or affronting. You might be the one causing offense. Offense is the state of being insulted. Being insulted. You have to be insulted. You can't help the initial emotions, but when you are hanging on to it, you are wanting to be insulted, to stay in a place of insult or moral outrage. Can I keep going? Is everyone okay with this? That's a hard word, Pastor. Remember, right now we're talking about the people of Israel. We're not talking about us yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll just talk about here. And, you know, the members of a team who play an offensive position, that is about attacking. An offense is not a, you're not a victim when you're offended. You are actually attacking. What? You are attacking. They were attacking the authority of God in that hall, in that, in that church, in that synagogue. They were attacking the anointing upon Jesus by holding that offense. Uh, an offense is an infraction of law. And here, listen to this one. The archaic meaning of the word offense is a cause or an occasion of sin. In fact, they add these words, stumbling block. That thing that will cause you to be insulted and outraged, right? And you feel justified because this is a moral outrage. How dare you do this is called an offense. And it is, a, it is an, a, again, you are attacking. You are attacking the anointing. You are attacking God's kingdom by doing this. And are you saying, Pastor Paul, in all things or just church stuff? All things. When you hold a grudge... It is the same thing as holding an offense because you can't even look at that person in the eye. When they're coming next to you and they're smiling, they approach you and you turn your back to them. You are holding a grudge. You are holding an offense. There's another word for it in the Bible. It's called unforgiveness. If you can't forgive your brother, Jesus once says this. He says, and God can't forgive you. You are outside the kingdom. You are an outlaw because you're not following the laws of the kingdom. The Bible says that you've been forgiven so much and you can't even forgive your brother a little bit. 
And you think you're justified in the eyes of the Lord? He says, no, no, don't be mistaken. God cannot forgive you if you refuse to forgive your brother. Can we let go of offense, friends? We've got to let this go because your offense will keep you from entering the miracle zone. Everyone okay? Oh, yes. Praise the Lord. Here's number two. Okay. Key number two in how to destroy faith. Withhold honor. Let me explain what that is. Go back to your Bible, Mark chapter 6. We're going to continue from verse 4. Jesus said to them, the people in his hometown synagogue, only in his hometown, among his relatives, remember his brothers and sisters were all against Jesus. Just keep that in mind, okay? Tuck that one away. Among his own relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. (laughs) Wow. He's saying, I'm not receiving any honor from you. And here's verse 5. This is what I want you to zone in on. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Have a look at the Bible. You'll see everywhere he went, everyone was healed of every disease and every demon was cast out. Every single one. Yet in this case, it says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them and he was amazed at their lack of faith if you're wondering if faith is important i'm trying to tell you and i'm trying to beat this drum it is critical that you understand that faith is so important it is a currency of heaven you need faith it is something that you buy within heaven right that's what we mean by currency Jesus was referring to himself when he said a prophet without honor. But he was actually quoting scripture from the book of Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel was dishonored. Jeremiah was dishonored. John the Baptist was dishonored. Name every prophet, I will tell you, in their own hometown, where they came from, they were dishonored. Honor in the dictionary means to regard with great respect. Not a little, great respect. That's how you honor The Bible says, boys and girls, honor your father and your mother, and it will go well with you. Honor your father. It means to, again, it's to regard with great respect. If you want to be blessed, honor, honor, honor. If we don't honor the presence of God, if we don't honor the men and the women of God who pray and minister to us, we will actually cancel out the power of God to move in miracles and touch lives. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 10, verse 41 to 42 says this. Matthew 10, verse 41 and 42. It says, anyone who receives a prophet. See the word anyone? That means you and me, right? Everyone. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. I'll explain this in a minute. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple. We're talking about young Christians, not the men of God, young Christians. I tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. You get the point of the scripture. When you can honor a prophet who's recognized as a a prophet, moving in prophetic ministry as a prophet, you will get the reward. They're going to speak things into your life. You'll get it. If you reject it, you won't get it. 
If you do not regard that person as a prophet, you won't receive the reward. That's what it's saying here. But let me keep going. It says that if you receive a righteous man, it's talking about a minister of the gospel. If a minister comes to you and they're ministering to you, but you don't receive it like, it's only Wayne praying for me. I'm not going to receive Wayne's word. You just go ahead and pray, Wayne. That's not worth nothing. I want to go to the pastor. I want to go to prayer warrior, Ransford. You pray for me, and I'll be, I'll be receiving it. But Wayne, you know, you know, you can do it if you want, but I want to go to the man. According to Scripture, the Bible is saying, if you do not receive a righteous man, right, and their ministry as a righteous man, you do not get the reward. They can pray for you, but you nullified what they prayed for. It's dead. Let me go deeper. If a prophet prays for you, but you don't accept him as a prophet, you think, look, he's just another preacher, and you think, I'll just take him as that. You only receive the righteous man's reward. You don't get the prophet's reward. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can nullify the, the power of God to answer prayer simply because you bring dishonor to that person praying for you. You don't recognize them in the authority and the mantle of anointing they have. Let me tell you something. I'm always amazed when people are like, you know, the pastor said hello to me. I'm like, I am nobody. I'm so nobody, you know. But it means something when, when I come and say hi to people. So I will, okay. I'll come around. But I don't think of myself like that. Right? We're nobodies. We're just here servants of God and we serve the Lord. But because of the anointing on my life, not because of who I am as a person, because of the anointing of the position of senior pastor, it brings something with it. And when you see leaders in your midst and they're being recognized as a leader and they're praying for you, receive them as a righteous man. If that person sitting next to you prays for you, don't discount them. They are a righteous person. And if you receive what they're, they're praying over, you will receive the righteous man's reward. You guys are very quiet this morning. <laughs> Woo! We are cultivating an atmosphere of faith at Live City Church. We want to see miracles and healings break out. I've been asked a question several times by people. Pastor, how come the miracles and healings and the deliverance that happens when you, you, know, you tell these stories happen in Malaysia and different places, it doesn't happen here? Why is that? And the first thing I'll tell them, number one, because there's no honor. You don't think there's anointing there and it nullifies the power. Or there's an actual offense that's taken that we will actually do. How dare this church? Who do you think they are doing this? I'll tell you, it will shut down the power. The Bible says that because of their, un, their dishonor, because of their offense, he could not do any miracles there. If you're wondering why we don't have that, all you need is a group of people that say, I don't believe this. I don't trust that person. I refuse to believe that they're a minister that can operate in miracles. It will shut down the anointing. But when we planted this church, and in every church we've ministered in, I always say this, I always give this challenge to the people, what if, what if we were the opposite of that synagogue? What if we were people that actually believe miracles can happen? Now, the thing is, I don't know how it's going to work, because that's why it's a miracle. It doesn't make sense. All I know is God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And so I'm just going to pray, because the Bible commands me, lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. I will do it. Not my reputation, it's his reputation. Are you with me? Can we cultivate this atmosphere of faith that we can trust that God will do what he promised to do? And if I can get enough people in this room, we believe, let me tell you, miracles, healing, signs and wonders will break up things that you see in the Bible. 
Imagine that day here in this place. We've been contending in this church for many people who are sick and then long-term sick. I want to see that end. And that will only come when the people of God believe together, God will do this. God can do this and he will. And we agree together and release that faith in the room. Let me tell you, it brings the presence of God. Let me go to number three. Third key to destroy faith is doubt. You probably got that one, doubt. You might actually do another one next to that, double-mindedness. Let me give you the scripture. James chapter 1, verse 6 to 8 says this. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. See that word? Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. If you might recall in the very first of this series, this is the third message. First one, we talked about this. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, because the disciples said, look, teach us a more faith. He didn't say do 10 Hail Marys and 500 Our Fathers. He just said, right, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, get up and be thrown into the sea if he believes and does not doubt in his heart. It will be done for him. The problem with our prayer is that we're praying and doubting at the same time. Ah, oh, God can't do this. It's probably not the time. Oh, God, would you heal this person? You know, and that's that moment where we say, don't pray for me. <laughs> oh, there's no point, you know, there's no point. But if you just got rid of the doubt, even if you had a tiny, minute amount of faith, tiny, you can actually lay hands on people. And God is going to use you because you don't doubt. All I know is God is good. If he doesn't want to do it now, that's his problem, okay? Not mine. I did what I was told to do, and I prayed for that person. I ministered to them, and God moved. Everyone okay with that? Okay, I hope you're getting this stuff. Number four, fourth key to destroy faith is fear. Mark chapter 4, verse 40 says this. He said to his disciples, this is after Jesus was in a storm. They had to wake him up to calm the storm. They were all going to die. It was a bad, bad storm. After he rebukes the wind and the waves, he turns to them. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I want to tell you that fear cripples you. It will keep you from stepping into the destiny God has for you. The Bible tells us a story in 1 Samuel chapter 17 of how David defeats Goliath. You remember that story? What you didn't know was that prior to this, it says in verse 11 that every time Goliath would come out, he would raise this challenge for 40 days. Every day. They were in a valley. On one side were the Philistine army. On the other side was the Israelite army. And in the middle stood Goliath with his armor bearer, a man towering, some say between 9 foot and 9 inches tall. Others say 11 foot 1 inches tall. This man was gigantic. Just think about from the floor all the way up to the ceiling. Not this one here, the higher one. That's how tall he was. Bit of perspective. Imagine this guy coming out every day saying, there's no need for Israel and the Philistines to fight. I'm the champion of the Philistines. Why don't you send me your champion? We'll fight and the winner wins the battle. Look at the response of the men of Israel in verse 11. 1 Samuel 17, 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites, not some, all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. 
As a result of their fear, not a single man would fight Goliath. Not a single one. They were crippled in their fear. In fact, the Bible says that Saul was anointed. Remember that? So he's got power and authority. And he was a head taller than every man in Israel. He was the giant of Israel. He was the hero. And he was too chicken to get out there and fight Goliath. Now turn with me to verse 26. David was something else. He asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, number one, this giant, whatever he is, has no authority over me because he's not circumcised. He's not made covenant with God. He's not right in relationship, so he is cannon fodder. I get to destroy him. But if he had made covenant with God, then we'd be, I'd be in trouble. We'd have to really fight this one out. But because he's not covered by the blood of the lamb, because he's not covered under any hold of God, I can take him out. In fact, God is with me to take this man out. David is so arrogant, he's actually asking, what's the reward for doing it? He's already assuming, I've destroyed him, now what do I get? If I destroy, what do I get? You know, sometimes we focus so much on the fear, we don't understand, we don't, we're not looking at the reward. The reward is great. Let me tell you, when you are walking in faith, remember, the just shall live by faith. You are being stretched beyond ability. Let me tell you, it's beyond your capacity. That's what we think, but God already knows the answer. No, he's got you there. He's going to ask you to do things that are going to stretch you out of your comfort zone. My wife always tells me, if you can work it out in your head, the numbers add up, it's not God. Sometimes I don't like my wife. I love her, but sometimes I don't like her. <laughs> and she's always right. I remember the day that we planted this church. We were driving on this main road, Red Bank Plains Road, to get to the school where we were at for six years. And as we're driving past, she points to this building, this very building. She says, we're going to have church in there one day. Man of faith that I was like, you're right. <laughs> I'm scoffing. Do you know how much it costs for her? Do you know how? And she, six years later, is absolutely correct. I honor her this morning. Fear will cripple your vision. It will cripple your ability to see the future, what God has for you. If you think, well, the numbers don't add up. I don't have enough money. How am I going to make this work? If God tells you to do something, just do it. There was a case where, in a story where the 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 12, 13,000 people or more were, being, uh, were meeting and to hear Jesus and they, were, they needed food. They couldn't find anything except for two small fish and five loaves. The Bible says that was enough. It didn't make sense because that is not enough, you know, logically speaking, in this, if we will use a currency of earth. But in heaven's currency, it was enough. It took an act of faith for Jesus to break. I mean, how little was a fish? It says too small fish. It wasn't that big. It was that big. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just, if you try and picture it, you start realizing how funny it is. You know, the loaves of bread, you're thinking it's massive. There's small little things he's breaking up and putting in there. But the fish was just like, you know, <laughs> I put a little bit there. How did he do it among 12 baskets? 12 baskets full. But he kept ripping it and it kept growing back. He kept ripping it, kept growing back. You know, the most extraordinary things. Because that's how faith works. Amen? Here's what I want you to understand. Fear is the opposite of faith. 
where faith is a substance of things hoped for, fear is the expectation of bad things happening. It's, an, it's a negative faith. In fact, here's the thing. It takes belief, right? We believe in faith, but it also requires belief for fear. Let me, there's a word for it. It's called disbelief. Disbelief. Did you know that dis is one of the names of Satan? Any Satanist will tell you that. Dis is another name for it. So you got ease, and when you demonize it, it's disease. Disease. When there's belief and you demonize it, it's disbelief. Oh my goodness, I know. Hopefully someone grabs something there. 